Here's Robin. I'm milling about with Paul Mercurio. Hi. Hi, how are you? It's nice to be with you. Yeah, same I like, here. I, like, I, t- I was just saying to you off air that I like the uh, I like the name of your podcast. It's very clever. Well, I didn't think of it actually, even though it is my last name. Somebody at Rolling Stone gave it to me. <laughs> That's so funny. Sometimes you have to have somebody else see you from a different perspective. I think it's good. Mine isn't as creative. It's just a Paul Mercurio show, but I, I really like yours. Well, yeah, you got You have to get your name in there somewhere, right? Exactly, exactly. And I couldn't, you know, Mercurio milling about just doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't work. It, it doesn't Mercurio not. about, how's that? <laughs> exactly, Mercurius. Ah. <laughs> I think you're onto something there. Yeah. I don't know, I'm just like, uh, I, I've tried different names. I tried two chairs and a microphone for a while, but everybody's like, well, but we don't know it's your podcast. And I was like, I'm too busy. I'm just going to call it the Paul Mercurio Show and leave it at that. No, that's what I did. Well, you do have a show running off Broadway, speaking of, called Permission to Speak. And what inspired this show? It's so unique. Well, you you came and, uh, and you were actually part of it for about 30 seconds when I asked. I know. It's very upset. I thought, I'm the first one. And he told me to sit down. <laughs> No, I just, you came to see the show, and I was like, oh, I'm going to maybe do your podcast. I don't think I should talk. I just figured it was going to be weird for, for you more so than me. I, well, you come back, and I'll talk to you now that we've done this. But I didn't want to, like, put you on the spot because I knew you were there to kind of check it out and see what it was all about. Basically, it was born, well, way, way back when you start out doing comedy in open mic clubs, uh, open mic nights and, like, little dive bars in New York which I did while I was, a, I was a lawyer and investment banker on Wall Street at the time and I was living this secret double life and I would go to these dive bars, nobody's paying attention to you because it's either other comics too nervous to laugh at other people's jokes or drunks or there was a hooker that worked out of one place. I swear to God, the hooker would give you notes on your jokes. She'd be like, how come you're not doing that joke about cabs anymore? I'm like, you know, that, oh, it just needs that one thing at the end. I'm like, well, thank you very much. Uh, you know. The hooker heckled you? <laughs> exactly. She's like, do the cabbie joke. I'm like, thanks, Crystal, you know, so, so I found you tried to do material, you couldn't get a sense of if it was any good because people weren't paying attention, but then I found if I started talking to them, it would force them into attention, it was like getting slapped in the face, and then I would slip a joke, and it's sort of like feeding a baby carrot, you give them a scoop of ice cream, and then you slip the carrot in the side. So that was the real genesis of it, and then over time, I just... As a stand-up, I like talking to the audience. I just like the, I don't know, it just, I like being loose up there. I feel like constrained if I'm just doing my material. Although, mainly I do do material. And so that got, then that turned into like having people stand up in the front of the house or people in the back of the house. Then I'm like, well, if they're standing up while I'm talking to them, why not bring them on stage? And then I brought them on stage, which is what the show is. It's an audience interactive show. It's not a, it's not a crowd work show or a stand-up show. It has a theme, which is, Everybody has a story, and if we talk, we connect better, and if we connect better, maybe things are just generally better. It's not a heavy kumbaya thing, so no one's going to throw up if you come and see it. But, you know... I didn't throw up. But I do want to say one thing that I did enjoy about it, and what I loved afterwards, is that people got to know each other organically from you speaking to them, and then they wanted to hang out together. They're just milling about afterwards yeah, there you go. yeah I, I you better you better trademark that because if you don't i will no that that really is so i'm so glad you saw that and connected with that because that that's a big theme too is if we talk we connect the other night we had 
12, you know, a bunch of people came, some people left. There must have been like 12 people, 20 people, I don't know. And there were like 10 different couples talking to each other who didn't know each other. So after the show. After the show, you know, there was one, there was one girl that, you know, young lady, she's like 24, and she just lost her brother in a car accident. She starts crying on stage, and then, you know, um, at the end of this show where there was this young lady who lost her brother, I brought this 83-year-old woman up named Leslie. So Leslie lives up uh, here in New York City, up on the Upper West Side near Columbia University. She used to walk FDR's dog. No! She lived in the same building with Eleanor and FDR. I love it, I love it. And, and it's literally an only in New York moment. She said, you know, they were kind of cheap, they didn't pay well. Uh, Eleanor talked like this all the time, and she thought she was like, oh, you know. I wonder what they paid for dog walking back then. <laughs> like a nickel. I go, would you, would you have like poopers here to pick them up? She goes, nah, you just leave it. You just watch where you walk. That was New York in those days. But then she said, you know, in response to the young lady who was on earlier in the show, like, I lost a sibling, and, you know, you can get through it. And then after the show, she went up, and she's talking to this young woman, and then another person came up to the woman and hugged her. And then, so, so the show is really letting, it's a, it's a show that's completely focused on the audience, right? Even the set that we built and what, we project things onto the set, it's all, the theme is always the audience, the audience, the audience and just letting who they are come out and you realize that pretty much everybody has a story. It's just sort of, you know, giving them an opportunity to tell it. You know? Now, do you hear back from some of these people? Have they hooked up with each other? And then there was this like nebbishy 65-year-old guy who was divorced, who was very nebbishy. He was almost like Rick Moranis in uh, Ghostbusters, you know, like, hey, everybody. But he was really funny and, and, it, and he ends up talking after the show I look over to this beautiful young African American woman like just stunning like half his age if that he goes he comes up to me after he's I got her number I said I got her number <laughs> you're really providing a service you know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah I'm like a, I'm, you know I'm a I'm like a therapist and a pimp and a comedian all rolled into one what I found myself doing watching it was I wanted to yell out questions, which is like my thing, you know. Oh, yeah. So has this always been your thing? Were you always inquisitive? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, I have like my podcast is basically just I focus on process, like what people do and how they do it. You know, I always end up that always ends up being a theme. And uh, and uh, I'm going to name drop. You know, I had Paul McCartney on my podcast, and I talk, and, and, and really all I talked to him about was music and making music. I didn't really want to get into all the salacious stuff about did you hate Yoko or was John the jerk or whatever. It was just all about. So, and I think it kind of stems from when I was a kid, my mother, my parents, well, my, my mother still has it, a furniture store, and she would have me selling furniture when I was like 12 or 13. So you got to have like a of, Jennifer convertible yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I was selling sofas and chairs and tables and little knickknacks and. So I think I kind of developed a bit of a gift for gab, you know? And then being a lawyer, too, you need to be able to negotiate or debate or present orally arguments. So, um, and I have found, like, you know, whenever you talk to somebody, there's something interesting. And people say to me, either in my stand-up show or this show, oh, well, those people plants because they were so great. And I'm like, no, they were, well, how did you get it out of them? I go, I don't know. I just asked them the questions. I don't 
I'm not there to make fun of them, but I'm also looking to have some laughs. And if somebody says something that sounds a little weird or screwed up, I'll say it and get some laughs off of it. So it's not an overly politically correct environment. It's not like, ooh, be careful what you say. It's also not like say whatever you want and insult people and hurt people. But I also am trying to create a safe space for people in the sense of like, just just say what's on your mind. Have you ever had somebody refuse to come up? You know, every once in a while you get somebody like, oh, I don't know, okay. And then they come up. And always those people, they just you can't get them to stop talking once they start. Like I had this one woman. Oh, I don't know. Come on, you and your husband, come on up. I didn't have to coax her too much. She comes up. I go, are you married? She goes, yeah. I go, how long have you been married? She goes, 10 years. I go, oh, you guys are, like, how old are you? 68. I go, oh, you got married late in life. How come? She goes, well, he got diagnosed with leukemia. And I decided that day we're getting married. And I went out and I bought a dress. And she's talking just like that. Now, this is a woman who didn't want to come up. So I go out, I get the dress. A couple of days later, he's in uh, upstairs in the sixth floor of the uh, hospital getting chemotherapy, tubes in his arm. And I'm downstairs getting changed. Then there's a fire drill and there's a fire in the hospital. And they come, I got to leave. I'm like, I'm not leaving. I'm getting married today. And I go upstairs and I married my husband while he was getting chemotherapy. Everybody applauds. And then the guy who was quiet as a church mouse the whole time. All he said was, yeah, and I wore the gown. <laughs> That's great. And the place went crazy. And you couldn't have scripted that any better. Yeah, yeah. And it was bizarre, funny, heartfelt, sweet, and a little serious all at the same time, which is what I say in my show, which is life is in the gray area. It's not, like, all happy. It's not all sad. It's sad, happy, and all those things mixed together. And I, I feel like that story is a good representation of what the show is in you know overall. So. Yeah, speaking of marriage, your wife is usually there sitting yeah. in the back and yeah. cheering you on and getting very embarrassed at times yeah. because you know there's a gorgeous woman up there and you don't say, you know, I'm not going to say she's gorgeous. <laughs> yeah, oh no, I hit on him. Why not? You know, I'm my wife and I've been together since high school. And she's in the back just to kind of you know, she's producing the show, too, and just watching whatever. And um, and so every once in a while, I'll say something that I know seems not true, and I'll just say to Carol, Carol, is this true? And she goes, yeah. Like, we were talking about sex the other night, and then uh, there's a guy, a woman, uh, was talking about her husband and his endowment, if you will. And I was, and I, I said, Carol, I'm not really that well endowed, am I right? She goes, yeah, you're not. And the whole place went crazy. And people are like, oh, you should bring her on stage. Well, my wife doesn't like being in front of talking in front of people and then it makes it changes the dynamic of the show but they seem to like it when she's there and I talk to her she's my best fan she laughs at everything still I don't know why but we've we've been together a long time so So you met in high school were you sweethearts in high school too? oh yeah we've been together since high school wow you can't let this piece of meat go come on Robin (laughs) it was on a ski trip and um it was, you know, like when you're one of our teachers, like, uh, chaperones the trip, so we're all on a school bus. We grew up in Rhode Island. This was up in New Hampshire. And she was with a guy, and I thought it was her boyfriend. So I just, you know, you can't really go on a date when you're on a ski trip with 40 other people. So I was just, like, always around, like, hey, guys, what are you doing? Like, I was always sticking my head in between. It turned out it was just a friend of hers from the neighborhood. Well, we got back, and I was like, I think I'm going to ask her out. And everybody's like, oh, she's like completely different side of the tracks, like from a rich... Out of your league? Yeah. Parents are doctors. Let me put it this way. I lived in a three-floor house, and she lived in a three-floor house. Mine was a tenement house. Hers, you did not have to go outside to get into the second or third floor. 
There was an elevator. There was an elevator. There was there were there were servants, a lot of white gloves, caviar at noon. And then you know me, where this is like a loud Italian, you know, middle class family. But she's really down to earth. So we went out, we took her on our first day was a movie. And the whole time, just being a guy, and I got to be, you know, especially in this environment, I'm going to say it anyway, like, you know, you're thinking about, uh, hey, you know, maybe something's going to happen later, you know? And then there's a big um, dark hallway that you had to go down to get out to the parking lot. I'm like, this is a perfect place for me to literally try to hold her hand and see. So I slipped my hand next to hers and she pulled it away. And all I thought was, I'm not taking her to get a sandwich now. I'm not spending that kind of money on her. She blew it. She blew it. I took her out anyway. But I only let her get half the sandwich. If she held my hand, I would, no. So that was kind of how it started. And then we just been together, it's been together, like, when I, you know, went to law school in D.C., D.C., Washington, D.C., she was here in New York getting her master's in uh, decorative arts and museum studies and stuff. So we tried to always be close to each other. So, did she think that you were completely out of your mind when you said to her, Honey, I'm giving up law, I'm giving up Wall Street, and I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. <laughs> she said to me, that, that better be your first joke. <laughs> she uh, was like definitely a little like, huh? Because, only because we were settled and I had worked so hard to, you know, get there. Again, coming from modest means, she just was like, what? And that's how my parents were. And my parents were high school educated, so I was on Wall Street. I made it. And um, But she also understood like it was sort of something I couldn't suppress. It was in me. I was writing jokes. I sold jokes to Jay Leno. He started using them on The Tonight Show. That led me to do How did you get your joke over to Jay Leno? Um, I was working in this big law firm, and our client had the special grand opening of their headquarters, and they invited us. And Jay Leno was a private entertainment. And I had been writing jokes as a hobby at that point. I'm not sure why. And I wasn't going to go. I literally wasn't going to go. And then I was like, ah, maybe I'll go. And I just hit the print button. And I printed out, like, I must have had 10 pages of jokes, 8 and a half by 11, passworded file that I kept. So I go up to Leno at this private function with my jokes. And I'm like, uh, I don't know if you need jokes, but I, you can have these. Maybe use them on The Tonight Show. And I started to laugh because I never heard him in person talk. He was like, okay. Rah, rah, rah. And it, like, all I could think of was like, like when you let helium out of a balloon, it was like that. I called and he was like, Jay Leno, Jay Leno is Paul McCurio there. And I thought it was my friend David, like pretending to be Jay Leno. Right, yeah. And I just, I was like, yeah, right, very funny, David. He goes, no, it's Jay Leno. And I actually said to Leno, you do a lousy, lousy Jay Leno. <laughs> and, uh,. He goes, oh, you know, your stuff's clean and I need stuff for the Tonight Show so you can send stuff in. And he goes, by the way, what do you do for a living? I go, I'm a lawyer. He goes, ah, I knew it. I go, what? He goes, you write like a lawyer, you're too wordy. He goes, you're not writing a contract, just get to the punchline already. And then a couple of days later, he did one of my jokes and uh, paid me $50 and it was like, oh my God, it transformed me. Suddenly out of this box came my joke that I wrote, not somebody else's. And it was a very... Uh, mysterious, mesmerizing, magical, all of those things. And then I became obsessed with writing jokes and I was taking two notebooks, no, two notebooks to deal meetings and one was for the deal and one was for no, joke notes. And I wasn't taking deal notes, I was just taking joke notes. You knew right then and there that you were done. Yeah, yeah. And I tried to suppress it and then eventually, you know, sold our apartment and just unravel my life and started again, you know. Yeah. How wonderful that you won an Emmy Award. I mean, that must have been like 
the catapult of everything. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I didn't really win it. I took it from John Stewart's office. But, you know, I have one. No, no. I won it. That and the Peabody Award, which is uh, a Pulitzer, they call it the Pulitzer Prize for Broadcast Journalism, which is pretty crazy. Uh, yeah, it was a nice sort of um, almost affirmation of what I decided to do. And it helped my mother understand more when I came home with the image. Like, oh, okay, like she sees this big shiny gold thing. And by the way, when they give it to you, it doesn't have your name engraved. You have to leave it behind, and then they, and they engrave it, and then you forget about it, and it shows up one day a box comes, like a fairly good-sized corrugated box, really uh, no return address. And I'm like, oh, I guess my wife, I don't know, bought a bag or shoes or something. And you open it up, it's your Emmy Award. I was going to say that you were going to, like, throw it in the closet or something. <laughs> no, but I'm like, I think, you know, FedEx should, like, roll out a red carpet when they deliver this thing, you know? Do you eventually want your own, quote-unquote, daily show? Would you like that? I wouldn't mind that, although there's a lot of those shows now. I, I, we, we are working toward having my own show. I could see it being something that's either a scripted half hour based on my life story, which people think is a... Cause, there's a lot of trials and tribulations in making the move. It was a lot of doubts, and I went back to Wall Street for a while, and then I went back to law, and I was so it really would be a show about that, or something in the talk genre because I like that, you know, and um, I think that's in my wheelhouse. So um, at the end of the day, when this show closes, I know it's it's not running forever. What do you hope? people come away with. We're running right now through the end of December, through the rest of the year, and hopefully into the next year. So there's plenty of opportunity for people to come see it. Like this woman we're looking at right now who's walking her dog. Has a do you want to do your show here? Exactly. Do you feel like you... Oh, yeah. Excuse me? Just stand on the table. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, you saw it. I mean, it just, I don't know, maybe... Just it could go anywhere. It could go anywhere. And that's the other thing we're talking about. Sort of you could use a co-host. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Someone who likes to mill about after the show. So uh, I, I think those things, that it's unique, that it's real, nobody else is doing it or can do it, and that it's really connecting people. At the end, I say, you take away from it what you want, and I really mean that. There's a fulfillment that I get out of this that I don't get out of stand-up because it's sort of touching people in a different way. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. Thank you. I, uh, I think, uh, I think, I think we hit on something. If if I if I need to, I can always. I have this number that I do in spandex that I might do at the end of the show, just to kind of spruce it up every once in a while. I want to see that. Yeah. Paul Mercurio, permission to speak, playing yeah. at the Actors Temple through December. Thank yeah. you so yeah. much. People can go to telecharge.com for tickets. We got a lot of shows. Come and support it, and maybe be part of it, or just watch. Cool, thank you. Thank you. It's a lot of fun. Always news. Always refreshing. Always candid. Always billing about. Robin Milling delivers what celebrities are saying to you. To you. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. 
That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.